I'd like to <coughs> begin by um, just acknowledging your practice and especially kind of in the middle of the retreat it's, it's not always easy <laughs> to kind of find the inspiration and the motivation to keep going for some of us and some people there's difficult stuff coming up in body or mind so just acknowledging that um, that sense of commitment that you might not even be aware <laughs> that you have that's kind of here and uh, holding us and supporting all of us really to to just keep steady with the ups with the ups and downs and sometimes um, what I find particularly inspiring in being here is um, is seeing the uh, the local villages running up and down, <laughs> and I'm sure you've had a chance to see this. How they just they have such a light kind of seems such a light sense of gravity. Now they almost float up and down the hillside, and I think it's a real uh, a real inspiration, a real teaching uh, for us about what's possible. You know, yeah, what's possible for us? How um, how lightly we can move uh, on the earth and, and possibly how lightly we can move through life. Yeah, that a lot of the gravity that weighs us down is maybe not, uh, doesn't limit us. Yeah, it doesn't need to limit us, if that makes sense. And that's not at all kind of dismissing that sense of, of gravity or heaviness that, or difficulty that, may, that we may have. But just that it's not, it's not the final word, it's not the final definition for us. So this evening I wanted to um, look at a few things uh, together um, via, via the metta practice, looking more at that practice and what it opens up, um, particularly around the, the sense of self and other. So someone pointed this out in, in one of the groups, and, and I think it's a, it's a really interesting thing to look at. Um, so when we, when we practice metta towards ourselves, yeah, when we invite metta towards ourselves, um, where exactly are we directing the metta? <laughs> What, what is that self that we're directing the metta to? You know, is it the body, life? Is it the mental life? Is it the characteristics of our personality? You know, what is, what is that self that the metta is being directed to and from? Yeah? So, I think it's funny. <laughs> You guys are all looking very serious. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it just is it's kind of like, ah, oh, you know, and kind of does this thing to the mind. They're kind of like, who's directing matter to whom? Mm-hmm. We can kind of ask. And, and similarly, if, we're, if the matter's being directed or invited to flow towards someone else, you know, again, who is it that's doing the practice? And, and how do we define the other? Yeah, how do we define the other? And, and are we actually, um, are we actually doing, are we being true to, to who that other is in that process? True in the sense of, are we really kind of seeing the changing nature of who they are and the complex nature of who they are? And same with ourselves. So, kind of bringing that in as an introduction, you know, is that actually, as we've been saying, and as we've all kind of been at least getting glimpses of, our idea of anyone, whether it's ourselves or another, um, is an appearance. Yeah, it's a conditioned appearance. It cannot capture the, the fluid movement of 
the conditions that are coming together and changing. Yeah, you cannot actually capture it. And yet, it is also useful. Yeah, it's also useful. For example, when we do the practice, it's, it's a really good example of when that relative sense, you know, we know it's not, you know, completely true, but it's useful, really, really useful to have that, that sense. So the practice or the attitude is actually what I'm t- talking about is beyond the formal practice uh, of metta, uh, but particularly the practice when we do it to specific people, whether it's myself, another, all beings, you know, it doesn't matter where, where it goes, um, it relies to a degree, and yet at the same time it transcends that commonly held view that we have of um, self and other being separate, yeah, and solid and permanent. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's one of those things that we keep kind of coming across in, in the teachings, yeah? Like seemingly contradictory, and yet somehow also not, yeah? And I, I love the, you know, the Buddha was asked a lot, is there a self or isn't there a self? Does the self exist or does it not exist? You know, it's a common question that arose and still arises for all of us. Um, and he, he wasn't that interested in answering it. <laughs> you know, he wasn't that interested in answering. He wasn't that interested in absolutes. He was interested in what is useful for us as human beings to live a life of well-being. That was the interest. So he was interested in the application rather than the theory. Yeah, and and the teachings follow on from that, and that's kind of that thing, you know. Neither self nor not self. <laughs> that's the way he used to answer. Yeah, doesn't neither exist nor doesn't exist. Yeah, because sometimes it's useful to see it like this, and sometimes it's useful to see it like that. Yeah, and the important thing is that we remember that fluidity, that movement. So, I want to just look, touch on a little bit on the, on the impact of the metta practice. And if you're not, if, if the metta isn't a practice that you've been resonating with, um, that's really fine. Yeah, there's no pressure at all. And just whenever I say metta, you put in whatever practice has been working for you, Okay particularly one of the ways of looking practices. Yeah, in this talk, I'm, I'm going to refer to metta. Uh, so far, we've been referring to it as a calm and a, a practice of, of calming and gathering, but it's also a practice of insight and ways of looking. So particularly, if, you know, it can be the Vedana, it can be the impermanence that we've been doing today, um, or the metta, you can use them interchangeably. So all three of these are ways of looking practices. And the impact that they have on us is that they release, they bring a sense of ease and openness, they release to a degree the clinging, or what we've been calling the push-pull against experience. Yeah, The kind of struggle against experience, or wanting things to be different than they are in some way. So all of these in different, slightly different ways, they kind of ease off that push-pull, at least to a degree. Is that something you can relate to with any of them? Some sense of kind of release of struggle or easing off of struggle and some sense of more openness in the being? It's okay if not. It's not a trick question. Yeah, and sometimes it's just that we haven't looked in that way, so we can keep it as a kind of open question for us. So they all kind of release the the push-pull and the sense of contractedness, and they kind of open up and kind of widen our vista. Yeah, we can see more. Yeah, we can see more. We have a sense of more openness. 
And a lot of what we see is actually a seeing through that sense of separation. Yeah, or that sense of solidity. You know, ah, that this experience is like this. And then we start looking at the Vedana. And maybe that things start to loosen up and change. Or we look at the impermanence. We actually see, ah, you know, I thought it was like this. But actually, it's, it's now it's like this, and now it's like that. And now it's more intense, and now it's less intense. And suddenly there's this flicker of something that I didn't expect at all in there. We start kind of seeing more. And this actually feels good. <laughs> Which maybe seems like, you know, really? <laughs> Meditation's pure suffering. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, we're just sitting here, gritting our teeth, getting through those 45 minutes. <laughs> really, it can feel good. And reflect back on your, exp- on your experience. In moments. Yeah, it can be like it can be an intense and uncomfortable experience, and then some moments, which are different, some moments which feel more spacious, more open, more joyful, within that. So there's a real encouragement, and, and we've been saying this, and we'll repeat it again and again, a real encouragement to, as you explore the practices, also look at how they're affecting your experience. Yeah? Look at how they're affecting experience. So we're not just going through the day, going through the technique. But we're checking in once in a while. A good time can be at the end of a walking or a sitting period. Just reflect back. What was, what was the practice? What did I do? And what, what was the effect that I can feel? Yeah? Is there any effect? One um, or two useful places that we can look for this effect is um, in the body and in the heart-mind. Yeah? Particularly tuning into, is there a sense of less contraction? Is there a sense of less contraction? So looking, you know, in the body, physical body, energy body, is there less contraction? Was there a contraction that feels a little bit more easeful now? Any sense of kind of more ease in the system, more fluidity, more flow? Yeah. And again, this can arise just, not just in reflection back, but just in the moment, just suddenly noticing, becoming more sensitized to this. The sense of more flow, there's a sense of less obstruction, less rigidity in the system. Have you had moments like that? Even really tiny ones? Tiny ones? Maybe. Yeah. Big ones, actually. Even big ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for some of us. Yeah. Yeah. The big ones are good and little ones are good. Equally good. Yeah. Just a glimpse. It's like uh, sometimes the image is, you know, if a room is completely dark, the tiniest candle, yeah, illuminates. Yeah. So even just something really small, yeah, one of those insects, glowworms or things like that, that have a little bit of light, they change the dark. Yeah, so, so even something very small is, is a, real, um, a real jewel. Yeah, shift something inside. So as we explore this, we can see that in those moments, and they don't have to be in formal practice, yeah? It can be, you know, many of us just kind of sitting after a meal <laughs> on these benches here and, and, and looking at the view or watching the sunset. In those moments, have you noticed the correlation between um, how much openness and softness there is in the body, the energy body and the mind, and how dominant or strong the sense of self is? That's kind of a little bit of what I want to explore here. And I'll say a lot more about it. So the sense of self, I think we may have said it, but I'm not sure. Sense of self has a spectrum. Actually, like almost everything else, (laughs) 
Yeah, but it's very clear with the sense of self. It has a spectrum. So it's not fixed, but it moves. Well, at least this is a useful image. I can't tell you that that's what it really does. But it moves along the spectrum. So, for example, if we're angry, the sense of self is, is very strong. Yeah, it's like on the high range of the spectrum. Or if there's a strong desire or a very strong um, intense thought pattern going on. Usually the sense of self is very, very strong and dominant. And then it's much less demanding or dominant or kind of even present um, when we're feeling playful. Yeah, or when uh, we're feeling calm. Yeah, or when um, we're just sitting, feeling the sun. Yeah, not doing anything in particular. Yeah, that sense of I, of me, of mine, it's really, really quiet. Yeah, and, and this is something we all know. Yeah, if you reflect on, on your life experience. Times when you felt happy and at ease. Yeah. That sense of self is really, really, really quiet. Yeah, really, really quiet. It, it's kind of, we don't need it. <laughs> yeah. It's not needed. It just goes down. So recognizing this spectrum which again, we all know from our experience, yeah, we don't need to meditate to actually know this, yeah? Recognizing this, this spectrum can kind of begin this questioning for us about, well, if, there, if it moves along a spectrum, yeah, if it's sometimes really strong, dense, present, you know, you can really hear, if you listen internally, you hear this eye in your head, you know, when it's really strong. And then at other times, it's so quiet, so quiet, yeah? If it moves along this spectrum, is it as solid, is it as separate <laughs> as we take it to be so much of the time? If it's so changeable, yeah, so changeable. Yeah, am I, is it really the same person? <laughs> who can be, you know, so angry, sometimes with so little reason, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so horrible. I'm talking about myself, not about you. <laughs> to completely innocent people, like the poor partner, yeah. And then at other times, be just so selfless, yeah. Is it, is it the same? Is it as solid? Is it as separate? Is it as fixed as we take it to be? This is a really important question that we can reflect on in our own experience. What does that mean? And even more than this question, what possibility does it offer us? And when I was reflecting on this um, today, when I was making these notes, I was kind of getting this image of like, you know, we can be like, um, you know, image that was coming into my mind, like we can be like, you know, a really good tennis player who slides across the tennis court to hit the ball. I don't know how, how, how often some of, um, any of you watch tennis matches, but you know, some of the really fantastic tennis players, they, just, they can just, you know, they slide. Yeah, they don't, it's not running even. Whoosh, reach out and get that ball. Yeah, and they just slide and there's so much grace in that movement. So the image was there, we can slide along that spectrum. <laughs> you know, that's an image of freedom. We can slide along that spectrum. We're not fixed, we're not trapped anywhere. We can move as is needed, as is appropriate, as is useful. So we're not limited by our conditioning. Yeah, so we have that freedom to move along the spectrum. And if you're not a tennis fan, just imagine yourself as a dancer or a skater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 
So this I, me and mine, it's a construct. Yeah, it's a dependent origination. And it's empty. Yeah, like, like everything else. Like everything else. It's empty of being fixed somewhere. And it's empty of being separate. Yeah, it's a dependent arising. Arises due to causes and conditions. Yeah? And some of these causes and conditions are, you know, habits, grooves. Yeah? And some of these conditions are the ways of looking that we are, um, again, habituated to. So one gift that applying these practices that we've been engaging in and we'll be engaging in, in more over the next days, the ways of looking practices, one gift that we may begin to see, and if you haven't yet, then start looking for it, is that that lightness, yeah, that quietness, yeah, taking ourselves less seriously, that becomes more available to us. Yeah, taking ourselves less um, seriously and having less self-importance. You know, we can just laugh at things a little bit more when we see that um, habit of the mind <laughs> to kind of become about me. Yeah, become about me. And one of the greatest um, teachings is, that I've ever received is this quote from um, the American te- teacher Joseph Goldstein, um, who uh, someone was interviewing him, and he must have been must be practicing fifty years, I think, <laughs> really really long time. He started very young in his twi- early twenties, and. Someone asked him, saying, you know, after all these years of practice and you know, in an interview and you know, all these years and years of, I don't know how many years he spent on retreat over his life, and, um, what, what can you say you've, you've, um, you've received or you've gained? You know, what have you learnt? What have you achieved in your practice from all of this? And he, says, he said in, in response, um, well... You know, I find that I take myself less seriously. <laughs> and the people around me really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And such a simple, beautiful teaching, yeah. You know, and it seems like really after all these years, that's it. But when we think what that means, yeah, we think what that means to take myself less seriously. How much less suffering for myself and how much less suffering for others if that happens less or when it happens we can slide across the tennis court. Yeah? We can take it less seriously. Take it less seriously. Which feels really good. (laughs) Yeah. It feels really good when that happens, when that's possible. So hopefully, you may have also had moments in the metta practice where you've noticed that it feels good to do, yeah? Either in moments of the practice or after the practice. And when I say good, it's not a good as in opposition to bad, yeah? It feels good in the sense of good for me, yeah? Like wholesome, like, uh, like the food at Dhammalaya, yeah? It's, it's a good that's not just about taste, yeah? I mean, the taste is wonderful, but there's a wholesomeness to it, and there's a, a love and metta in it, yeah? comes from the care and the attention. Yeah. So it's that kind that kind of sense. That's why not just the practice but um, the attitude of metta. And so saying this, um, like I said earlier, not everyone would necessarily resonate with the actual practice, you know, of the phrases and the categories of beings and all of that. But we can all resonate with, with metta. As, um, as a feeling or as an attitude. Yeah. That 
sense of friendliness and of goodwill that we may have in the formal practice and we may have at other times, yeah, not to do with the practice. Yeah, it's, a, it's a quality, an attitude that we have, which feels very, very wholesome yeah, and comes with a very, very quiet sense of self. With a very, very quiet sense of self. So sometimes it feels like when we tune into metta, and again, not necessarily through the formal practice, it can be through the formal practice or not, uh, it's like tuning into a beneficial frequency. <laughs> yeah, we're tuning into something that's beneficial. Yeah, that's wholesome, that's good, full of goodness. And part of what this does, this tuning in, and again, either in in the formal practice or not, is that expansion of the sense of concern. So from self-concern, we move, expand more and more to what we might call life concern or universal concern. And anywhere along that spectrum, it just grows. It grows, not just about me. And I was reflecting today about, you know, how much in, especially in our societies nowadays, we forget that caring, you know, and concern for others is actually a human need. Yeah, it's actually, it's a need that we have. It's a need that we have. And I, I remembered um, these, uh, this research that I read, I, I must have read about when I was, studying psychology 25 years ago or something like that. Um, they did these experiments in, um, uh, with elderly people who lived in, in, in homes um, and were very, very lonely. And they gave them a plant in a pot to look after. <laughs> yeah, A plant in a pot that they had to, to look after and, and, and keep going. They were asked to. They didn't have to do this. And they measured the change in the mental well-being and in the physical well-being over time. And both of these increased. Yeah? So people had less health issues than they had had before or in comparison to a control group that didn't have this plant. And they were happier. Yeah? They were less depressed. So it's a human need. <laughs> And we forget, yeah, it's a human need, that, that care, that sense of looking after someone or something, giving, sharing, connecting. It's a human need that we have. So, you know, our mental health, our physical health are all connected to this, are all related to this. Again, we're not It's not just about keeping people clean, yeah, and giving them good food and giving them medicine. Yeah, we're much more complicated than that as human beings. Yeah, and we depend on each other, depend on a sense of connection. I have a a friend who um, suffers from depression. And she told me a couple of years ago something that also relates to this. She said when she um, can catch the depression as it's just starting and then go and do something for someone else, yeah, do an act of generosity, that stops the spiraling. Yeah? I'm not saying this is, you know, would work for everyone because you know, people are different. And she doesn't have, you know, severe depression, but she has ongoing depression. And, you know, she's like realizing that is so transformative. So again, that dependent origination, that mutuality, yeah. And what that connection, that care, what it does to us, yeah, how it moves things. So as that, you know, that sense of self shifts from being just this, this little one, 
to being more, yet one other person, <laughs> fewer other people or beings, not just people, more and more and more. Yeah, as it shifts, you're kind of plugging into a wider network of care, and the heart keeps opening with that, and the sense of well-being increases. So metta is within us, all of us. We all have that as part of our makeup. Yeah. Like I said, it's like a, it's a, actually a human need. Yeah, it's something we need. It's in us, programmed to feel it, and it's something we can also cultivate. Yeah, because of life circumstances, you know, for some of us, it doesn't feel accessible. Yeah. That's also something to acknowledge. And yet, it's something that we can cultivate. It's something that we can nourish. So it affects how we relate to others, and it can also be our way of relating. It can become the primary way that we relate to each other as we cultivate it. So today... um, Nathan introduced the difficult relationship in the metta practice. Um, And with a real emphasis on, I think it's Nathan's emphasis, of calling it the difficult relationship and not, as it's traditionally called, the difficult person. Or in the Pali, in the translations from the Pali, the old translations, the enemy. (laughs) I love the way, like over the years we've been practicing, the, the translations have changed and kind of become much more sensitive in it. The enemy. It's not the enemy. It's the difficult relationship. Um, which, you know, the, the words really matter. You know, they really matter. How we define things, again, is a way of looking. So if we say enemy, even if we then say, oh, you know, don't, you know, don't think of the most difficult person in your lives, take someone mild, but we've already branded them the enemy, you know, on some level. It's, and that, that has an effect, going off on a tangent. So, you know, we, we know and we're, we're practicing to really acknowledge that there's no, nothing is permanently, you know, bad or difficult or unpleasant, yeah? It's just different ways of looking, different views, see things differently, yeah? If we look at something from a different point of view, we'll see it differently. And if we bring in a skillful way of looking, it can change the way we view something. Does that make sense? Yeah? Bring in a skillful way of looking, that can change the way we see something. So I think you were exploring that a little bit in in the metta practice today, of just kind of bringing a sense of, okay, someone mild difficulty with this person. It could be someone we love a lot, but there's some difficulty. And doing metta may, may feel too much. So we, we bring to mind their knowing, you know, we know this about any living being, yeah, we don't need to know their story. Bring to mind that they wish to be happy and bring to mind that there's things in their lives, areas in their lives that they're unhappy about. Bring that to mind. And then we open to a sense of compassion, yeah, and metta becomes compassion. And for some of us, us, that's much easier to then do with someone that we have a difficulty with. You know, that, that shift. And I was reflecting on it in my own practice, um, how even in, and you know, I, I do use um, people who I have great difficulty with in my um, difficult relationship category, <laughs> in my meta practice. Um, and even when the external relationship doesn't change, the internal one does, yeah? And that's a lot, yeah? So even if, when I meet the person, we'll still end up having an argument, (laughs) the internal relationship is changing over time. That's something that, that can clearly see, yeah? And that is so much, yeah? That's so much. There's less ill will, yeah, less ill will being generated and more sense of well-being as a result, yeah. 
And over time, small changes also in the external. Yeah, small changes also in the external. And I'm talking about really big stuff. So, you know, small changes also in the external. I mean, big stuff, really difficult relationships. Yeah. And, you know, in some relationships which are less loaded, less um, old, yeah, those changes can happen also on the external very, very quickly. So as the relationship changes, even if it's just the inner relationship, do you understand the, the distinction I'm making between inner and outer? Internal and external, yeah, good. So in the external, you know, there can be, the triggers are there, and so there can be a triggering, and the patterns resurface. But in the internal, in the sense of who the person is, internally, there's no enmity. Yeah, there's no ill will. Yeah. It's it's a really important distinction. So as as the relationship changes... So does the sense of self and other, yeah? And this is kind of something I really want to touch on, yeah? So the relationship, there's an intention of metta there, yeah? And there's less ill will there and enmity. So as that changes, the sense of the other, it's like they have more space, yeah? Like, for example, we can see the things that find challenging about them but we can also (coughs) see the positive things yeah about that person yeah whereas if we think about when we've got a difficult situation with someone we tend to see them as very one-dimensional yeah oh this person is always like this again if we go back to relationships with people that we're close to when there's friction you always do this you never do that yeah we go into these generalizations, and in the moment, that's really what we see. Yeah, we're not uh, we're not really connected to the fact that we're actually telling a complete untruth because nobody does the same thing always. Yeah, not possible. Yeah, so that um, that range of seeing kind of seeing someone with a bigger picture, wider. Yeah, so we see more of the person. It's not just that aspect that we have friction with. And similarly, the, the, the self-view changes as well. Yeah? I become not just that friction aspect. Yeah? There's more, more of me there, or a wider sense of self there. Does that make sense to people? No. You can say no. You're looking at me blankly, so I'm getting the sense of no, but don't be shy. So is it yes, no, it doesn't make sense? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Okay, let's try again. I'll try with a specific example. So typically when we have friction with, some, with someone, it'll be in, in a specific area, yeah, around a specific area. And we will just see that friction. Yeah, we'll just be aware of, of the characteristics of that person or the behavior of that person that are causing that friction. Yeah, and that's all they'll be. Yeah, this person who's always um, putting me down, for example. Yeah. And in relation to that person, I will be a certain thing. I'll always be the person who's being put down and is trying to stand up for myself whatever it is. I don't know where this example is coming from. It's just, does this make sense so far? Mm-hmm. As we, we change the relationship, yeah, to the situation, yeah, we bring in compassion, we bring in metta, we bring in the willingness to see the other person with a wider perspective. So the relationship changes, yeah, relationship changes, and then also the view of self of other and other changes. We actually see more and more, it feeds itself, seeing more and more other aspects of that person. Oh, actually, they were really nice to me or to somebody else in that occasion. Oh, actually, 
you know, they, they do all these great things for charity or whatever, I'm just random examples, yeah? So we see more, more aspects of that person. And we also stop being defined just in relationship to that area of friction that we have with the other person. That also shifts. Does that make more sense? Yeah. Okay. So what we're interested in here is that all three are dependent. Yeah? It all comes together. The relationship changes. How we perceive ourselves and others also changes. Yeah? So the way of looking or the intention can shift the dynamic as we practice. Right, I'm going to have to do editing on the spot here, so you need to give me a moment. (laughs) See what we're going to drop. I just want to say one important thing about compassion practice. Um, So sometimes, for whatever reason, um, you know, there may be somebody that we really want to send metta to or want to send compassion to, and we just can't. (laughs) Yeah, it's too raw, too difficult, um, too complex, too old, you know, too traumatic, whatever, and we just can't do it. And there can be a sense of, oh, I'm stuck here, I'm trapped here, yeah. I want to, but it's not happening, even with the compassion. There's always the possibility to set compassion. You might just need to shift it to yourself, yeah. So in the situation where there's a sense of, I can't, you know, I can't feel the metta, I can't even connect to the intention of metta or compassion to someone else, I can bring it towards myself, yeah, and my own present situation of having the intention, but right now the heart isn't able to open. And we bring the compassion, we bring the metta towards that. And this is a really important aspect of this practice and one of its greatest powers. You know, we can always use it, yeah, it's always usable. We just need to find how and towards what. Yeah. So, you know, that's the importance of the metta towards oneself. Yeah, we can always bring it to that clenched thing. Or if that's too difficult, then we can, we can bring it to um, the easy personal being. You know, we, we create that movement, create that movement, which can help shift the experience. I'll do a Rob thing. And I'll ask you guys how you're doing. (laughs) Because I can stop here. Yeah? And I can go into one more thing, but that will probably take about another 15 minutes. So if anyone feels like this is enough, then please say so and we'll stop. It's really, really fine with me. Really, really fine with me. I'd actually rather. Just <laughs> okay. You're not just being polite. No. Okay. All right. Now I have the challenge to try and do this in 15 minutes. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. So we can also, and we've been doing this without calling it this, we can also bring meta. To, um, to the sensations in the body. And we can bring metta to, particularly to painful sensations or uncomfortable sensations. Yeah, so we've been doing this um, when we've been bringing um, a kind attention, kindfulness to, to the body. But we can do it, we can actually bring metta to that. And we'll be exploring it more. Um, I'm not sure if tomorrow or the next day. But when we do it, one thing that we can notice is as we bring interest and metta to the um, painful or difficult sensation, we're actually changing the relationship. Yeah? As we're doing it, we're changing the relationship to the pain. The habitual relationship to pain or discomfort is aversion. 
is to push it away, which is the opposite of metta. Yeah, it's actually the opposite. And it's a very... Uh, okay, slow down. <laughs> and it's a very um, instinctual thing to do. Yeah? It's even in the body. When there's pain, the body contracts around the pain. Yeah, it's a kind of defense mechanism that we do. So the habitual thing is to, to, to have some aversion to push away. When we bring uh, an attitude of interest, of gentleness, of metta to that, it's a change in how we're relating. Mm-hmm. Change in how we're relating to that experience. And as we do that, we can see that as the, we change the relationship, the experience changes. Yeah, the experience changes. So the degree of unpleasantness in the experience often goes down. Yeah. The degree of unpleasantness goes down with the interest, with the metta. It's really interesting. And the sense of self becomes less dense and less tense. Yeah, because the sense of self is reliant on that aversion and that pushing away of the pain and the contraction. So we change the relationship, the experience changes, the kind of unpleasantness of it goes down, and so does the sense of self. Sometimes the sensations themselves disappear, sometimes. So what's actually happening there? I want to break it down a little bit. Yeah, what's actually happening there? When there's an unpleasant or painful sensation in the body, what kind of Vedana will that have? Unpleasant. Yes. Initially, the Vedana will be unpleasant. That unpleasant Vedana will escalate, will lead to what we've been calling, or will trigger what we've been calling the push-pull, yeah, or is usually called clinging, craving, or grasping. I might be using those words also, but we're talking about the push-pull. So the unpleasant Vedana will lead to that, which will typically be, in case of something unpleasant, pushing it away, wanting it to go away, that aversion, that contraction. And that contraction is dukkha. Yeah? That contraction is dukkha. That's actually the part of experience which is, which is suffering. Yeah? This is really, really interesting. So it's not the actual pain which is sensation. It's the contraction around that. And then that contraction builds yeah, with the Vedana and then with the escalation of the Vedana into the pushing away. And the more we push, the more suffering there is. It doesn't mean, this is important, doesn't mean that the initial thing is not painful. It's a distinction between pain and suffering. Yeah? A sensation can be painful, but a lot of the suffering around it is added on. Yeah? It's added layers of pain. So the more contraction there is, the more push-pull there is, the more suffering there is, and the more sense of self there is, yeah, or the more solid and dense the sense of self is. You know, and, and, and you can really use your, your experience of, of physical pain to see that. It becomes, I, I want to get rid of this. I can't bear it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the I there. It's part of the building up of the experience. So they arise dependent on each other. Yeah, they arise together. They arise together. The contraction, the push-pull, the dukkha, and the self. Yeah, they arise together. As Nathan was saying yesterday, co-arise. You know, so why is this happening to me? <laughs> you know, why do I always get this? This is all the sense of self around the experience. Yeah. So all the sense of self. And when, when we see it like this, I think it's quite clear how much of the suffering is in that. Yeah? How much of the suffering is in that. So you remember that spectrum that we, you know, we're all 
I hope in your dreams tonight you'll be tennis players whoosh, gliding. Oh, we're gliding along that spectrum. It's like someone, the spectrum has now become one of those things. Again. Someone's pushed it up to high and the red alert comes up. Beep, 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 beep. High sense of self alert. Yeah. It becomes really dense, really strong, really dominant, really contracted. Yeah, really contracted. So this is co-arising. So I've just, you know, I, I kind of did a linear process there, yeah? I said there's the physical discomfort, then the Vedana, then the push-pull, then the contraction, then the dukkha, then the sense of self. But actually, they all come together. And the cycle keeps growing. So there's more sense of self, there's more contraction. There's more contraction, there's more clinging in dukkha. You know, it all builds up together. All builds up together. And this is kind of the balloon we're, we're interested in popping. Yeah? It's like a, a, a balloon of hot air. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. Yeah? And what the practice is doing is cultivating other ways of looking at it that will help it come down. Yeah? Come down. So back to the pain in the body. Yeah? We said when we change the relationship, when we bring metta, to a painful sensation in the body, or we bring interest, yeah, through the Vedana or the impermanence. The dukkha lessens, yeah, the sense of problem goes down. Yeah, what else goes down? And this is something to really explore for ourselves. The sense of self goes down. Yeah, the push-pull goes down. Yeah. As we just bring interest, just bring metta, we're changing the relationship, the air comes out. The self-sense slides back down the spectrum. (laughs) Yeah, slides back down the spectrum. So dukkha doesn't come from the experience, but from the relationship. Push away, build up contraction. Yeah. Find ways of relaxing that pushing, that contraction. The dukkha comes down. So metta is a way of relating, yeah, to life in all its manifestations. It's a way of relating that reduces dukkha and reduces the sense of self. Yeah, because those two co arise. Does that make sense? I haven't made too much of a leap here, yeah reduces that. And I can't think of something more valuable than that, yeah? It goes directly to helping us loosen, loosen the sense of self, reduce the suffering in our lives. It takes practice, yeah? We can see this, yeah? understand it intellectually, understand it in our own practice, and we need to keep seeing it again and again. Yeah, to keep seeing it, to keep deepening in it, keeps revealing itself. It's intensely beautiful. Yeah? It brings a lot of joy and a lot of freedom, which we need to also feel when they arise. Yeah, feel when they arise. As we apply more skillful ways of looking, like dukkha, like the Vedana, like the impermanence, yeah, we apply those and then we see that this is what they do. Yeah, we experience for ourselves, <coughs> this is what they do, this is what they allow. And we keep on practicing, we become more skillful at doing this, bringing it in, in different situations. So I just want to end with just a few kind of applications, kind of bringing it back to the um, real applications of this um, in our practice here over the days. So having that sense of what we've been exploring this evening as a, as a way of um, kind of informing our process and what I said early on in the talk, noticing what effect... The, the practice has, yeah? Is there a lessening of contraction? 
and the body or the mind is the more sense of spaciousness and openness. Even for a moment. You know, sometimes, um, and this happens to all of us, you know, including me, not to Nathan. He's, sorry, Nathan. <laughs> He's beyond this. Um, so, this happens to all of us, you know, we get a sense of, okay, you know, I've got this thing and I'm working with it and, and the practice works if it completely disappears, yeah, if it's gone, you know, whether it's a physical pain or a mind state or whatever it is that there's contraction around. And we, because we're looking for it to disappear completely, we're not seeing the moments or not appreciating the moments. So it might be that just with this breath, there's a change. Yeah, just right now in this moment, the, the physical pain has changed or um, the, the restlessness has changed. Yeah, whatever it is that I'm working with, it's changed, it, it's changed, it's reduced and there's more freedom. But if I'm so busy looking at, waiting for it to completely disappear, <laughs> I'm going to miss those. So noticing moment by moment and that relief is a lot, you know. Just when I'm sitting here, I'm able to stay spacious. And then the contraction comes back. But I can open up again. Just for a moment. That's so much. Yeah, so much. So remembering that. Remembering that. And valuing that. Can be really helpful to do um, a little bit of, of some kind of meta practice or intention either at the beginning of a sitting, yeah, just a few minutes, or at the end, yeah, even after the bell's gone, to just spend a few minutes just connecting to that sense of, of goodwill, of friendliness, yeah, of gentleness, of softness, whichever way you relate to it, of warmth. Yeah. Either the formal practice or something else that works for you. Just doing a few minutes of that. <coughs> bringing kindness to ourselves as we move through the day yeah it's retreat is great to to do this yeah because we've really you may not be aware of this but you've really slowed down yeah you've really slowed down and you've got the time there's not much going on so we can really bring the kindness to ourselves you know as we're eating really get a sense of feeding ourselves yeah as an act of kindness as you get dressed in the morning yeah a sense of doing that as an act of kindness when you wash your hands, when you brush your teeth, you know, find times in the day when you can really connect to that sense of kindness towards yourself. Yeah, a real, real sense of kindness in it. Doing one of my favorite practices, which is what I call random metta, you know, so you're standing in the food queue. <laughs> And, and, you know, in ju- instead of just standing around, that being an opportunity to feel that connection and to feel a sense of goodwill just to the person in front of you, you know, or the whole line, whatever you feel like, or the people that have cooked, you know, whatever. But just that random thing, you know, or, you know, you walk into the hall, the first person that catches your eye, <laughs> just having that sense of, ah, may you, may you be well. Just random moments. I sometimes do it, do meta practice a lot when I do walking practice. Whatever um, being crosses my awareness, yeah? Insects, birds, people, just sending them that sense, that feeling that sense of wishing well. Yeah, it can really color, color our perception, color our experience. And with that sense of kindness toward ourselves, remembering to dance along that spectrum, yeah, dance along that spectrum of the sense of self. And sometimes our sense of self is really contracted and we feel really limited, yeah, and we actually really limit ourselves through the ideas that we have of what's possible for us. So that's a real place to dance. If we notice that, that sense of, I can't do this, yeah. I can't do this, or I can only do this. Yeah, then we can stretch out, we can dance out around, along that spectrum of the sense of self, and actually dance off it. 
Yeah, just say, yeah, this is possible. We don't know what's possible. We don't know what this sense of self is. We don't know who the self is. I don't know who I am. Can that be an invitation? Yeah, everything that's possible. So not limiting, not limiting ourselves. Almost made it. All right, let's have a moment of silence to close. So thank you for your (coughs) practice, your presence and your listening. Mm 